This is the third week out of Ruth, um, the Old Testament book. And this book is interesting because it, it has a different tone to it than most of the rest of the Old Testament. Is It has two women in mind. Ruth really is a secondary figure in the story. Naomi is the main person. If you have not been following along with this sermon series, if you haven't been able to be here, I'd encourage you to go catch the previous two sermons on Ruth chapter 1 and Ruth chapter 2. This is really a fascinating book. Slate Magazine um, asked the question is, is, why is Ruth the most loved um, book in the Bible? Now, I think that they kind of push that a little bit. But it is, it's because it, it, it's such a beautiful story that comes to us really during a time of chaos. And so that's where we're going to be today. If I were to give a title um, to this sermon, it would be At the Feet of the Redeemer. And that's going to become more apparent as to why I would title it that. So the main um, person in the story is a woman by the name of Naomi. Naomi was left destitute in a foreign land. She and her husband Elimelech, along with their two sons, had fled from a famine in their own land. They had fled from Bethlehem, which had been their home. How they came to leave, we don't know. We don't know if it was fear that caused them to leave or if it was necessity. We only know that they left because of a famine. Shortly after arriving in Moab, Elimelech died. As hard as it must have been, Naomi's consolation was her two sons, both of whom married Moabite women. As far as we can understand, though, both sons were sickly and both died after a period of time. Naomi now is destitute. Whatever wealth they had brought with them to Moab was gone. She had escaped one famine to experience another, a famine of the soul. Her husband gone, her children gone, any wealth accumulated gone. So she does the only thing that she can think of doing. She turns back toward home, toward the land of promise which she had left toward Bethlehem. She had heard that the Lord had provided bread in Bethlehem. Maybe she might find a meager existence there. So she left Moab with her two daughters-in-law, but on the way she realized that Bethlehem was no place for these daughters-in-law as much as she loved them. She sent them back to their families, back to their pre-marriage homes. Both of them, after all, were young, likely in their mid to late 20s. They are yet able to marry and have a family of their own. Moabite women in Bethlehem would have had a hard time moving forward. After all, they were foreigners from a group of people not very well esteemed in Israel's eyes. The sensible thing to do was for them to go home to their families. John Maxwell, in his book, Wisdom from Women in the Bible, writes, the logical thing for Ruth to do when her husband died was to go home to her own family and look for a new husband. Naomi suggested that she do that, and Ruth's sister-in-law, Orpah, followed the advice. Orpah goes. Ruth is stubborn. 
She refuses. What do you think Elimelech was thinking when he left Bethlehem? Was he making an informed decision? Was it the logical decision to make? Was it even the right decision to make? What role did faith play in the decision? We don't know any of the answers to these questions. We only know some of the outcomes. And what about Ruth? When Naomi told Ruth and Orpah to go home, it was more than a suggestion. It was the logical, informed argument. To do anything else would be irrational and unwise. And Ruth chooses what was unwise. Logic said one thing. Her love for Naomi and her newfound faith said another. She said to Naomi, I choose you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lie down, I will lie down. Your God is my God, and your people are my people. And where you are laid to rest, I will be laid to rest. So Ruth returns with Naomi to Bethlehem. Naomi, bitter from all of her loss. And it's in Bethlehem that Ruth must figure out how to provide for Naomi and herself. Naomi is so bitter and so empty, she actually refers to herself as Mara. She tells people, don't call me Naomi. That name means pleasant. Call me bitter. For the Lord has taken everything away from me. Naomi is paralyzed with inaction. Ruth, though, knew enough about God, to, the God to whom she had given herself, that she could lean on his covenantal provisions that were found in the law. She could lean on those things and eke out some kind of a living. She knew that the law provided for the poor by allowing the poor to glean on the edges of the field. And so she asked Naomi, to be able to go and glean. And Naomi said, go. As luck would have it, and in order to understand that, you have to listen to last week's sermon, which is on the website. You know, sometimes our coincidences, actually, I would say all of the time, our coincidences are God's providence. What we think is happenstance is God's happening. So as luck would have it, she ended up in a particular field, the field of Boaz. Ruth 2.1 says that Boaz was a man of standing. He was a man of character, which was as hard or harder to find in the time of judges than it is today. Amazing, huh? Ruth had already become known in the community of Bethlehem. The buzz hit the street like it does other places in small-town America. Uh, She and Naomi arrived back, and you can almost imagine what the conversation was. Hey, did you hear? Naomi is back. 
but she doesn't want to be called Naomi. She wants to be called Mara. That crazy old fool, Elimelech, carted her off to Moab and died. Yep, and those two kids are dead too. Can you believe it? And what was she thinking bringing that Moabite girl with her? Word is that she didn't want the girl to come back, but the girl insisted. You got to watch out for those Moabites. They are so disgraceful. This one kind of breaks the mold though. She's not like other Moabites that I've heard of, but we should probably keep an eye on her. You know, it's probably not too much of a stretch to think that that was the word on the street, the gossip, so to speak. We know that Boaz had heard the word on the street and that Ruth had already proven her love for Naomi. Ruth chapter 2, 8 and 9. Is it, Ruth had been gleaning in the field of Boaz at the edges of the field. The edges of the field were left for those that were in poverty. And Boaz comes to the field and he says to his foreman, he said, he said, who is that girl? And when the foreman tells him, it's almost as though it rings a bell for him. And he knows that this is the girl that he'd heard about. And so when she comes in from gleaning, she comes close enough from gleaning It says in verses 8 and 9, So Boaz said to Ruth, My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. I've told the men not to lay a hand on you. Remember, this is the days of the judges when it would be hardly safe for a foreign female. When Ruth asks why Boaz has been so kind to her, verses 11 and 12 say, Boaz replied, I've been told about all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband how you left your father and mother in your homeland and came to live with the people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Did you catch the prayer there? May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. That's going to become really important as we go on. Boaz generously offers his protection, but he also offers extra provision. In 2.16, we're told that he tells his men to kind of pull out extra sheaves from the bundles and to leave them for Ruth. And you can remember, this is almost comical. As these guys that are out there, is, is they've got these bundles that they've already bundled up and they're like, pull out extra sheaves. Okay. And you can imagine these guys kind of going along and kind of looking back to see if she's looking and kind of pulling some stuff out and dropping it on the ground and then going a little further and kind of saying, hey, Ruth, there's some stuff over here. I mean, that's how comical it is. 
And she comes back home with all of this grain. And, and Naomi knows that this, this is an extraordinary amount of grain for those who glean at the edge of the field. Now, we could take a wrong turn here. It would be wrong to think that this is a romance between Boaz and Ruth. Um, some people have gone that direction. Some people have actually kind of written books on how to date properly with Ruth as a guide. And that's actually a wrong turn. There is no indication at all that Boaz was doing these things because he found Ruth attractive. There's no indication that this is a courtship of any kind. There's no indication that Ruth is looking for a husband, especially an older man far beyond her station in life. It's really important that we stick with what we know. Ruth is a Moabite who left her home to care for her mother-in-law, whom she dearly loves. Survival for the two of them is essential, and survival drives Ruth to the fields to find provision. The possibility of marriage doesn't enter until chapter 3. But it's not a marriage that is driven by romance. Instead, it's driven by redemption. And we'll find that out. When Ruth returns home in chapter 2 with this huge harvest of barley, Naomi knows that the extra provision requires explanation. She says, where did you glean Blessed be the man who took notice of you. When Ruth says, in the field of Boaz, now it's time for Naomi to open her eyes in wonder. In Ruth 2.20, Naomi says, the Lord bless him. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and to the dead, speaking of God. She added, the man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. The first indication that something is happening is here when it says he is one of our guardian redeemers. So let me explain a little bit. The, the barley and the wheat harvest usually lasted five to six weeks long. Okay, this was not in the day of the combine. In fact, this was about 3,000 years ago. And harvest was a festive time. In fact, the end of the harvest there was a lot of celebration at the end of the harvest because there had been a lot of sweat, days and weeks in the sun, bringing the harvest in. Let me read Ruth 3, 1 through 18, the whole chapter. So bear with me. So there had been a lot of time that had passed, and this whole time Naomi is thinking about what's going on with this guardian redeemer. So it says, one day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, my daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Now, Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight, he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor. But don't let him know that you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. 
So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I am your servant Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another one who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night and in the morning. If he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good. Let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized. And he said, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. He said to her, bring me the shawl you are wearing and hold it out. And when she did, he poured it into six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. Then he went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, how did it go, my daughter? Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, he gave me these six measures of barley saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. There's a lot of similarities between chapter two and chapter three, but there's also some differences. Boaz becomes more and more of the focus. We find that there is a redeemer in the promised land and that he is a man of character, out of character for the time of the judges. The focus is on his generous provision and his strong protection. Chapter 3 begins with the initiative of Naomi. But it also emphasizes the obedience of Ruth. Chapter 2 happens in the daylight. Chapter 3 happens at night. Chapter 2 happens in the sight of everyone. Chapter 3 happens in private. Naomi initiates everything. But it's Ruth who has to act it out which she does quietly, discreetly, and with care. Naomi was concerned about a home and a husband for Ruth. Naomi realizes that there is yet hope for Ruth and possibly for her. It must have taken weeks for Naomi to fully realize the implications of Boaz being a relative a redeeming relative at that. Naomi referred to him as a kinsman redeemer. Now, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you know that there are some Old Testament laws that were set in place to protect the most vulnerable people. This was one of the laws, the law of the kinsman redeemer. It was a part of the Old Testament covenantal law. 
Leviticus 25, there, there's three things that kinsmen redeemers could do, possibly a fourth, but three that I want to focus on. So these three tasks that a, a kinsman redeemer could perform. Leviticus 25, 25 tells us that when an Israelite became so poor that they had to sell their land, that a kinsman redeemer could redeem the land and restore the relative. When you think about it, you think about how did Elimelech get to Moab? How did he pay for the journey and for their time there? It's quite likely that he had to sell his land. When Naomi returned, she returned with nothing. So a kinsman redeemer could redeem land that had been sold. Second, sometimes a person was plunged into such poverty that they would sell themselves into servitude. Sometimes slavery. If a kinsman redeemer found out that a family member had sold themselves into slavery, then the kinsman redeemer had the responsibility to purchase them out to freedom. The third provision of redemption that God provided was to redeem a brother's widow for him. The provision was is that if a man who was married died and they had no heir, then a, a brother or a family member could marry the widow in order to provide an heir for the land. The first son born to them would be the brother's son, the recipient of the brother's property and the one who would carry on the family, the family name. Now, this all seems really strange to us. But maybe our 21st century nonsense is what is strange. It's hard to take much pride in our culture where love is a feeling instead of actions built on integrity and character. Naomi wants a home for Ruth. And Ruth's goal is to bring an heir for Naomi to redeem what has been lost by the famine of the land and the personal famine that they have gone through. Each one cares for the other. Boaz represents the, possible of re- the possibility of redemption. Boaz represents God's covenantal promises. This isn't a love story in the traditional sense between Ruth and Boaz. It is rather the love that Ruth has for Naomi and that Naomi has for Ruth. But it also points us to the God who loves us and redeems us. What Naomi plans is an expression of God's covenantal love. She is putting her trust in God's covenantal care. 
She has confidence in God's laws. And Ruth also knows more than we understand. So when Naomi says, my daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be provided for. And then she says, and this must have been in her mind for a period of time because it's relatively well thought out. Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. It's the end of the harvest and and there's some kind of a celebration that goes on where it was common to go to the threshing floor and literally eat, dine at the threshing floor and celebrate the harvest. And Naomi knew this and and she knew that Boaz would be there. And so she says, wash, put on perfume and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor. But don't let him know that you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. See, it's very uncommon for a woman to go to the threshing floor. In fact, it was probably prohibited. But go. When no one is around, when he lies down, note the place where he is lying, then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. Ruth shares Naomi's faith. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. See, Ruth understands and she demonstrates faith at work through obedience. Christopher Ashe, in his book on Ruth, says true faith is intentional and active. It's not passive. We know when we read scripture that faith is an absolute gift from God. We can't exercise faith without God first giving us the gift of faith. At the same time, to say that we're totally passive when it comes to faith would be very wrong. Faith is not something that we can autonomously exercise. It is a gift from God, but God gives us faith at the level of our humanity. It's not imposed on us. It is something that we receive and that we really and actually exercise. So obedience and faith go hand in hand. Faith also always has a level of vulnerability to it. Faith strips away our securities. And we have to embrace the risk of trusting God. This was certainly true for Ruth. She embraces Naomi's plan, even though it means going out at night unaccompanied. A dangerous thing to do during the time of the judges. If you don't believe me, again, read the last three chapters of the book of Judges. It's horrible. Ruth abandons any vestige of safety and security. She is going to entrust herself to Redeemer God and to the potential Redeemer. Praying that he will protect her. Ruth is utterly vulnerable. She is a young woman. She is a foreigner. She has no rights. Other men would have taken advantage of her. You know, faith is personal. 
at some point we have to make faith our own. We can't live on the coattails of our parents' faith or a family member's faith or a friend's faith. It has to become personal. Now, faith grows in community, and that's why we're here right now. Faith grows in, in the midst of the people around us. But each person has to exercise faith alone. John Bunyan understood this when he wrote Pilgrim's Progress. In Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan pictures the main character of his story, Christian, going through a journey to the king's kingdom. Christian's going through this journey and he has to go through challenge after challenge after challenge. One of them is the slew of despondency. In order to get to the wicket gate, he first has to go through this slew of despondency. It says that Christian was left to tumble into the slew of despondency all alone. But still he endeavored to struggle to the side of the slew that was still further from his own home, but closest to the wicket gate. That which he did, but he could not get out because of the burden that was on his back. And the picture that John Bunyan gives us is, is that there's this huge burden that Christian is carrying. And it's, it's hardly able to sustain the weight of it. And what it is, is it's this burden of sin that he wants to get rid of because it is so heavy. But he can't quite do it on his own. So he carries the burden with him. Even through the slough. Stuck in sinking in the mud. It says that he could not get out because the burden was upon his back. But he says that a man came to help him whose name was Help. And asked him, what are you doing here? Sir, said Christian, I was directed this way by a man called Evangelist who directed me to the yonder gate that I might escape the wrath to come. And as I was going, I fell in here. And help said, why didn't you go for the steps? Christian said, fear followed me so hard that I flew the next way. And fell in. Have you ever fallen into the slew of despondency? Have you ever been so hard pressed that you feel like everything is against you? That no matter how hard you try, you can't get out of the stuckedness of the situation. I love making up words. And you need help. Help then said, give me thy hand. So Christian gave him his hand and he drew him out and set him upon solid ground and bid him to go on his way. In 
In Psalm 40, 17, it says, but as for me, I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. And then the psalmist says, you are my help and my deliverer. You are my God. Do not delay. This is Ruth. She in faith goes. She lies down at the feet of Boaz, not knowing how he will respond when he finds her. She doesn't know if he will be angry, if he will reject her, throw her out, expose her. She, in faith, falls at the feet of the one who has the power to destroy her or redeem her. Boaz, in the middle of the night, awakes, startled. In the darkness, he cannot recognize this intruder. Who are you? Verse 9. Who are you? He asks. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. Remember Boaz's prayer for Ruth in 2.12? May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. When she, ha- when she says, throw the corner of your garment over me, it literally can be translated as, is put your wing over me. And that, that should take us back to Boaz's prayer. Ruth is asking Boaz to be the answer to his own prayer. She's asking him to be the flesh and blood incarnation of redemption that she needs from God. She is a very forward girl. She's asking Boaz to marry her. She's asking Boaz to honor God's covenantal promises, not just by providing grain and protection, but by marriage, since you are a guardian redeemer. Here's one of the things about faith. Faith is not subjective. It's not just whimsical. It's not just believing with nothing to undergird that belief. Faith is grounded in God's promises. Boaz's response is not one of pity. And Ruth's request is not one of pity either. She is not taking pity on an older man. And he is not taking pity on a poor woman. She has not rejected younger men because she prefers Boaz. She is expressing loving kindness for Naomi. I've brought up the Hebrew word has said the last two weeks. The Hebrew word has no English translation. No one word in English can convey the meaning behind the Hebrew word has said. The simplest definition is loving kindness, loving loyal kindness. And Ruth is expressing kindness for Naomi. 
And Boaz, in return, expresses loving kindness for Ruth. In verse 10, he says, The Lord bless you, my daughter. He replied, This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. He's not saying, you're coming after the old guy. He's saying, you love Naomi so much. Your loving kindness in in leaving Moab and, and coming to a land which you did not know and turning yourself to a God that is not of your upbringing is that that was a loving kindness, but this one is greater that, that you would be a part of the redemption of Naomi. Kindness is for Naomi. He then says in verse 11, and now my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you what you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Now think about this. In the day of the judges, there were very few men of character. But character escaped almost everyone. And the reason why Ruth was so different was not because she was a Moabite, although that was a lot of differentness. She was different because she had noble character. Proverbs 31.10. A woman of noble character, who can find? She's worth more than precious jewels. Her faith calls in the covenantal promises of God. She says to Naomi, I will do whatever you say. And then Boaz accepts his covenantal responsibilities. I will do for you what you ask. Now there's a hitch, and I'm not talking about marriage. There's a hitch because life is complicated, isn't it? Life is really messy, It rarely goes as we want it to go. We want everything to go just really nicely, everything kind of in order, and of course the order that we want, whether God wants it or not. We just like everything to be really simple, right? And when it's not simple is is we get a little bit frustrated in our prayers to God instead of is, hey God, could you do this to me? It's, God, what are you thinking? I mean, I could have done this way better than you're doing it right now is you're not asking me what my opinion is. But the truth is, is this side of heaven, life is really, really messy. We often don't experience the healing that we desperately desire. We deal with sickness and disease and hurt and pain and violence, famine, and loss. Life is complicated. And faith almost always involves waiting. In fact, we're told to wait upon the Lord. And that is no fun. Wait upon the Lord, and He will renew your strength. 
we never know how much of a gap there is between the waiting and the renewal. Faith is not sight. It carries with it a waiting for resolution. In our waiting, faith rests on the character of the Redeemer. Boaz essentially says, Ruth, it's complicated. There's another kinsman redeemer. If he will fulfill the promises of God, then let him do so. But if not, I will do what you ask. And Naomi says this, Boaz will not rest until the matter is settled. The Redeemer will not rest until he's delivered on the promises to which he is committed. The Redeemer, Jesus, will not rest until he has delivered on the promises to which he is committed. He will not rest until he has delivered you. In John 14, 1, before going to the cross, Jesus said to his disciples, I go to prepare a place for you that you may be with me where I am. But he also said, in this world, you will encounter many trials. See, life is complicated. It's messy. Full of brokenness, hurt, pain, loss. In this world, you will encounter many trials. Boy, we need a redeemer, don't we? But do not fear. I have overcome the world. Next week, we'll find out what happens. I know that you can cheat and go read it. Let me close with a postscript. And Alistair Begg gave me a little bit of help with this in his writing. The whole Bible is about Jesus from beginning to end. As it always points us towards the one who will redeem us from our sin. In the Old Testament, we don't have the name. We know that he is a shepherd. Because even David said, the Lord is my shepherd. When we follow that into the New Testament, we have Jesus saying, I am the good shepherd and I lay down my life for the sheep. When you're reading this story, every time you encounter Boaz, you should have this feeling in the back of your mind that goes something like this. Boy, this guy reminds me of somebody. 
I, I, I'm reading about this Boaz and his responses, and I don't know, but it makes me think of somebody. And it does, because Boaz is foreshadowing another kinsman redeemer, Jesus, who according to Hebrews became one of us in everything except for our sinfulness in order that he might redeem us from our sin. As Boaz dealt with Ruth, so Christ deals with us as we repent and come to him. As she cast herself at the feet of Boaz, so we cast ourselves at the feet of Christ at the foot of the cross. She was dependent on Boaz's mercy. We are dependent on Christ's mercy. She being covered by the corner of his garment, we being covered by the blood of the covenant shed for us on the cross, by which he welcomes us with his loving kindness. She being introduced to peace and contentment and security as a result of coming underneath his wings. We coming underneath the shadow of Christ, finding that he soothes our sorrows and calms our fears and dries away our tears. She going up the road, burdened and being given all of his benefits. And we going up the road, being made aware of our sin, but even more aware of the wonderful provision that God has made for us in Christ. She coming to Boaz as a penniless alien, and we coming to Christ with nothing but our sin and our poverty. Boaz taking her to himself. Christ taking us to himself. Let's pray. Father and Lord God, thank you for providing a redeemer. Jesus Christ, your son, who stepped out of heaven for us, took on flesh, lived the life that we can't live and died on the cross for each one of us. If you haven't put your faith in Jesus, I believe this is the reason why you're here this morning. And you come to him in your poverty having nothing to offer but your sin. And he willingly says, give it to me. Because it's what he died on the cross for. And that when you give Jesus your sin, he gives you his righteousness and the redemption that you need. It's as easy as saying, yes, Jesus, I believe. I repent, forgive me. That's all it is. And if if you haven't put your faith in Christ, then God wants to give you that gift right now, which you can really and actually exercise by saying, yes, I believe, forgive me. If you've already put your faith in Christ, then know how much your Redeemer loves you and that he is exercising 
all of the promises of God in redeeming you. And so love him. Be obedient to him. Follow him. Lord, thank you that we have a redeemer. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.